0: Welcome to the Valley Avon podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church located in Avon, Connecticut. Would you join me now in praying? Heavenly Father, as we come now to focus on your word, We pray that you would draw our attention closely to what it is that you have to say to us today. And God, would you show us what the kingdom of heaven is like? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you know, it's true that some things start small. We human beings start small. After human life begins, we are really a very tiny, tiny little thing, a group of cells that are dividing very quickly, and we are less than a tenth of a millimeter across in size. Tiny. By week 10 of our lives, 90% of the organs in our bodies have formed. Our brains are working, and we can feel things but we are still less than an inch and a half long. When we are born, we are still born usually weighing under 10 pounds and we can't do anything for ourselves. We human beings as we come into the world are struggling to survive. It takes us months to learn how to do simple things like smile, feed ourselves. It takes us years to learn how to do things that are a bit more complicated like talking and running. And all the while, our brains are forming and we are growing, but for years, we're extremely vulnerable. But then... A full-grown human adult comes along, and we are capable of things that we were not capable of before. We are capable of reasoning. We are capable of caring for ourselves. We are capable of providing for others. But it takes two decades, or sometimes longer, (laughs) for us to become full-grown human adults. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, Jesus tells two parables, and our humanness helps us to understand what Jesus is talking about. Matthew chapter 31, verses 33. I read them to you last week. I'm reading them to you again this week. Yes, I know. Verses 31 through 33. He, that is Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And so these are Jesus' two parables, the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leaven. And in them, Jesus is telling us what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. And he starts with something that we as human beings can understand, smallness, because Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God starts small. Jesus' own life and ministry reminds us that the kingdom of God starts small. Jesus, the word of God, the eternal son of God, left heaven and came to earth. And he was born as one of those 10 pounds or under human infants. was a baby. And he was born to peasant parents. He was in the hills of Galilee for much of his ministry, surrounded by people who were nobodies by the esteem of that age. Jesus could gather crowds, but he never had an army. And Jesus was arrested, tried, condemned, and crucified by the authorities of his day. Even after Jesus' resurrection, he had appeared to 500 people, so there were 500 people on earth who knew that he was risen and alive. Jesus' own ministry shows us sometimes the kingdom of God starts small, which led people to ask questions about Jesus and about the kingdom of God that he was proclaiming. They, they asked the question, is this really all there is? Now, they were asking that because you have to understand what they were expecting to see in the kingdom of God. People in Jesus' day were looking forward to the kingdom of God, and to them it meant that after centuries of being dominated by one foreign empire and power after another, God's people would be free from foreign domination. Messiah, the king, the kingdom of God would mean that all the foreign empires were cast aside. In fact, Messiah, the king, would instead build a kingdom centered in Jerusalem, and that kingdom would prosper and it would grow to become a multinational empire that brought people to God and to his will. The people were expecting to see someone who looked a little bit more like a traditional king. They wanted to see someone who looked like King David, the greatest king of old that they had heard of. And in Jesus, the kingdom of God looked Nothing like that. In fact, it led John the Baptist himself to ask questions. John had every reason to know and understand about Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus were close relatives, and the Bible tells us that both of their births were actually intertwined with one another and that there were angel appearances and miraculous events surrounding their births. John grew up knowing all of those things, and John grew up with a firm understanding of his purpose in life. John grew up knowing that his purpose was to prepare the way for Messiah, to call people to repentance. And when the time was right and he saw Jesus publicly, John the Baptist knew that he was indeed Messiah and pointed to Jesus, his close relative, and he said, Here he is, look at him. That's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But then John had to be honest about the fact that nothing else about the ministry and the life of Jesus looked anything like what even he was expecting from the Messiah. And then John was thrown in prison, and the Bible tells us that from prison, he continued to ask questions, and he actually sent messengers to Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 11, shortly before what we read about in Matthew chapters 12 and 13, John sent messengers asking the question, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Because even John looked at Jesus and said, I wasn't expecting the kingdom of God to look like that. And so in response to questions like those, Jesus told these two parables. And in the first of the two parables, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a proverbially small seed. Jesus pointed to a mustard seed. It is indeed a tiny seed. It's less than a tenth of an inch in diameter. It's a small seed. It may not be true that it's the smallest seed on earth. And it may be true that in the first century, people knew of even smaller seeds that existed. But it's also true that in multiple cultures in the ancient world, there was a saying, A saying that something is as small as a mustard seed. Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God starts out as something that is proverbially tiny. And then in the parable of the leaven, Jesus says that the kingdom of God is not just like a small seed, but it's like leaven. And it'd be great if we could say that that is a statement that's as small as, as a cell of yeast. But it turns out that in the first century, they didn't use yeast to leaven bread. Instead, they would take dough, water, and flour, and ferment it. And that would cause the carbon dioxide bubbles. And once it was fermented, a a lump of that starter would be put into a ball of flour and water. And that starter would cause the balance of the dough to ferment and a bit of the fermented leaven would be held back, kept for another day for more bread. It worked very much like sourdough. Starter does in our day. And what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God, yes, it starts small, but it starts vulnerably in a sense as well, like a small lump of something cooking away in a cupboard that you hope doesn't go wrong. And Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is like that. Jesus said that in himself, the kingdom of God had come into the world. The kingdom of heaven was near in him, and nobody had their expectations met in seeing Jesus, and so he was peppered constantly with questions. Is this really all there is? Is this what the kingdom of God is like? This looks nothing like what I was expecting in you, and Jesus says confidently back, yes, this is the kingdom of God. It has come. It is in me, Jesus was saying. But he said it starts small, like a mustard seed, like leaven. This is important for us to understand because sometimes the kingdom of God can still feel small. The kingdom of God can still feel Small. When we look around at the world, it seems that the world right now is spinning out of control in dangerous kinds of ways. There's a war going on in the Ukraine, and it's not just the war about a nation, it's a war that pits east and west against one another. Tension is rising in the world between China and the Western world, and now we have a war between Israel and Hamas that threatens to engulf the balance of the Middle East. And here in the United States, we seem unprepared for these events, and we feel like a nation divided into camps away from and apart from one another. And so you you look at the world and you have to ask, is the world not spinning out? of control in some dangerous kinds of ways? And the West seems bent on walking away from God as a society. Western society becomes increasingly secular all the time. And in becoming secular, Western society has exchanged objective truth for saying that truth is subjective. Truth is what I think truth is. And consequently, that's impacted our morality. We have come to a position in the West where we say what's right and what's wrong is not what God says, it is what I say. What I say is right is right, and what I say is wrong is wrong. And consequently, great damage is being done to our society. Marriages and families are under unprecedented levels of pressure and stress, The stress in our society goes to the point where there are people who are born as men and born as women saying, I don't feel comfortable in my own body with my own sexuality. I I don't feel comfortable in it. And consequently, there are all kinds of problems also proliferating in our society. People are struggling with depression, with anxiety, with addictions, and responding with violence, and we look and we see that The beliefs and behaviors of the Western world do not align with God's plans for human flourishing. It's a tough time. On top of that, that means that it is quite easy that that we feel isolated and vulnerable when you go to school, when you go to work, you may, as a disciple of Jesus, feel as if you are alone. You may feel like the only disciple of Jesus, the only follower of Jesus, the only Christian in your school or in your place of work. And being isolated and alone, you may feel vulnerable You may not feel free to share openly who you are for fear of being judged. You may face pressure not only to stay silent, but to affirm things that you disagree with. You may come under organizational stress and pressure to do things that you disagree with. And you may worry that if you don't go along with what's being asked of you, not only are you going to be isolated further and ridiculed, but you may even lose your job. It's true that a lot of Christians right now feel isolated and vulnerable. It's happened in my own family to my wife. Before we moved to Connecticut, my wife was a public school teacher, and she went back to school one fall to find a new principal and a new seminar being taught. It was a seminar being taught on how to deal with stress and how to help students in the classroom focus. She started studying what was going to be presented in the seminar and began researching what was being presented and realized that what was being presented was Buddhism, Buddhist practice and Buddhist theology. And so she went to her principal. Her principal didn't know her. She didn't know her principal. And so one of the first things that she had to say to her principal was, I cannot go to this seminar because it's teaching a religion and that religion is not my religion. She asked to be excused from the seminar and offered to do an independent study instead. This was not easy at all because she had decided already she wasn't going to the seminar regardless of what the school said in response. But the interesting thing is that our budget as a family depended on her income, and we were relying on her access to health care to provide health care coverage for our family. Now, thankfully, the school said, you don't have to go to the seminar. You can do the independent study. But along with that came, but you can't tell anybody why. So, yes, there are times where we as disciples of Jesus can feel isolated and vulnerable. There are times when the kingdom of God can still seem small. When you feel alone as a disciple of Jesus, when you feel isolated, when you feel vulnerable, the kingdom of God can still seem small. And when you look around and see the world spinning in dangerous directions and the West pulling further and further away from God, it can lead you to ask questions. Is the kingdom of God losing? Is the kingdom of God going to lose in the end? Is the kingdom of God ever going to thrive and succeed. Is smallness all there is to the kingdom of God? But please understand, the kingdom of God starts small, but smallness is not all that there is to the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God starts small. It can still seem small, but the kingdom of God inevitably becomes big. You see, God's kingdom has King Jesus. Now, when you think about Jesus, I don't know what picture comes into your mind. Maybe you think about Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Maybe you think about Jesus standing at the door, knocking gently on the door of your heart. Perhaps you think of Jesus hanging on the cross. Those are all important pictures of Jesus, but the Bible paints other pictures of Jesus as well. A good friend recently reminded me of the picture of Jesus that we encounter in Revelation chapter one. It's a picture of the risen Christ, of King Jesus. In Revelation chapter 1, Jesus appears to John, and when he appears to John, he is radiating the glory of God, and he is surrounded by things that remind you of divinity and of rule. And John says that when he saw Jesus, the risen Christ, and he looked in Jesus' eyes, Jesus' eyes had a blaze about them. He looked at Jesus and his feet were gleaming as if they were hot molten metal. When he heard Jesus' It was like the sound of a mighty river rushing. And when he gazed into the face of Jesus, he said that Jesus' face shone like the noonday sun. And John had a response. In Revelation chapter one, he writes, when I saw him, that is Jesus, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's the right response because this is Jesus. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. And God's kingdom has King Jesus. And God's kingdom becomes big. In the Revelation, we read about the effects of the work of Jesus. Jesus is praised for what he has done. And in Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, we read, "'Worthy are you,' this is speaking to Jesus now, "'to take the scroll and to open its seals, "'for you are slain, and by your blood "'you ransomed people for God "'from every tribe and language and people and nation, "'and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, "'and they shall reign on the earth.'" Now, what is this saying? This is saying that Jesus has done what it is that he set out to do. He has redeemed people from every nation and tribe and ethno-linguistic people group on earth. He has done what he set out to do. The kingdom of God has grown, and we see that in what is happening on our earth today. Today alone, there are more than a billion people alive who call Jesus Christ Lord. God's kingdom inevitably becomes Big. And please understand what an important reality that is. The fact that Jesus' kingdom becomes big is a very comforting and reassuring thing when you think that the world is spinning out of control. Because when you look around and you think that the world is spinning out of control, you recognize the fact that the world is not out of control. God is in charge. God has a plan. And when you think, my own life, I am alone, I am isolated, I am vulnerable... Then you recognize that God is doing something. You may feel alone, but God is redeeming a people for himself. And we may feel alone here and now, but in eternity, we will stand in a throng of multitudes upon multitudes, people from every nation, tribe, and ethnolinguistic people group on earth, and we will be together. And that's what Jesus says, and that's what he means when he tells us that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows into a mighty bush. And that bush is so big, it becomes 6 to 12 feet tall. It's massive. It looks like a tree. And it is so big that people in the ancient world wouldn't even plant them in their gardens. They'd plant them in a field because they'd take over the place. He said this, the kingdom of God is like that. He said the kingdom of God is like leaven that you put in three measures of flour. It starts small, but three measures of flour is 40 to 60 pounds of flour. It's enough to feed a hundred and Fifty people. And he says, the kingdom of God that starts small becomes big. And that is reassuring when you think that the world is out of control. That is comforting when you think that you are isolated and vulnerable. The kingdom of God starts small, and it may sometimes feel small, but the kingdom of God inevitably, by the power of God, becomes big. Don't ever forget that. And that leads to something for us to know and do. The kingdom of God grows now when we go across the street. The kingdom of God grows now when we grow, go across the street. The way that the kingdom of God grows should matter to us. The Bible tells us the kingdom of God inevitably grows until it becomes very big. And the bigness is certain. The bigness is secured by God. Our our power and our effort is not the point. God's power and God's promise, that is the point. Our effort is not the point. But our effort is not beside the point. You see, the bigness of the kingdom of God should change our theology. The bigness of the kingdom of God should point us to action. The bigness of the kingdom of God should call us on mission. The bigness that is coming of the kingdom of God should call us to go across the street because we are surrounded by lost people. There are lost people everywhere we look, in our, in our neighborhoods, yes, where we live, where we work, where we play. They're in our families. They're among our friend groups. They're where we work. They are among the places that we recreate, that we are surrounded by lost people. And when I say that we are surrounded by lost people, please understand what that means. They're not yet part of the kingdom of God. And if they're not part of the kingdom of God, then their destiny eternally is not heaven with God. If they're not part of the kingdom of God, if they are lost, their eternal destiny is not with God, it is apart from God. If they are not a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, if they are lost and not a part of the kingdom of God, their destiny apart from God is conscious punishment in hell. That means that there are people you love, people you care about, people you do business with, people you play with, neighbors, people across the street figuratively from us where we live and work and play who are lost and going to eternity in hell. And that matters. And that matters. It should matter to us. We have such a very simple way to go across the street to them. The blessed lifestyle helps us to understand and know what it looks like to go across the street to someone. Blessed is a five-part acronym that reminds us about a lifestyle that we all live as disciples of Jesus. And it, B stands for begin with prayer. You pray for the lost people where you live and work and play. The people across the street from you, your figurative neighbors, members of your family, friends of yours, people who are coworkers, You pray for the lost people in your life. And then secondly, you listen with care. Just open your ear and let them talk about their lives and their problems and their perspectives. And then E stands for eat together. Extend hospitality and open your life to them. And along with that, the first S stands for serve with love. Show them the love of God in practical actions. And as you listen, eat, and serve somebody, you get to do the second S, which is share your story. B-L-E-S-S. It's a five-part lifestyle that helps us to go across the street to the lost people, where we live, where we work, and where we play. Fostering hope shows us what happens when Christians go across the street Fostering Hope is an agency that we are working with right now to begin building a foster care ministry here at Valley. What Fostering Hope does is incredibly important because it reminds us that providing a home for every young person who does not have a home is critically close to God's heart. God commands us to love and go to the fatherless, and God tells us that it's the very kind of thing that he does. Because at one time when we were born, we were all outside of God's family. We were in rebellion against him. But at some point, God reached us and saved us in Jesus Christ. And when he saved us in Jesus Christ, he adopted us. And now we who were apart from God are his sons, we are his daughters. We are members of his family. This is a critically important issue to God. Demonstrates the gospel. And it helps us to go across the street. Fostering Hope built a foster care ministry with a church outside of the greater Boston area. And when that church began to build this foster care ministry, let's be blunt, the, the local agencies that deal with the topic did not welcome them. Because sometimes when we as Christians go into the public realm as Christians, we're not welcome. But that church built a foster care ministry, and it showed love, God's love, to the foster care system, to foster families, and to foster children. And now, every week, a government agency sits down once a week with members of that church to strategize together how they can serve the foster community. Church went across the street. They are showing God's love and they have opportunities to share the gospel along the way. Going across the street changes everything. So that means... I have plans to make because there are people who are lost and across the street from me figuratively. There are people who need me to come across the street where I live and work and play and make room for them in my life and serve them to show them God's love and share the good news about Jesus with them. Because I want to invite them to become a part of the kingdom of God. And that is how God's kingdom grows, even now. It's as we go across the street. Will you join me? Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.